Hello everyone and thank you for joining us on the first episode of the Northern Plights podcast. My name's Keaton. I'm joined by Clara and Yasmin to talk about the northeast of England during the First World War. Northeast, of course, famous for its uh, industrial regions of the Tyne, Tees and Weirs, but also its coal collieries in the rural countryside and the dales of County Durham and Northumberland. The shipyards of the Northeast were some of the most advanced on the planet. They were they could make a battleship twice as fast as any American ship and five times as fast as any uh, Japanese shipyard. In fact, the Japanese had had ordered multiple battleships be made in the Palmer shipyard in the Tyne River. So our topics today of what we'll be discussing, first of all, we'll be talking about industry and civilian roles, employment, and then women and children. Uh, of course, First World War allowing women to go into the workforce, not as much as the Second World War, but women also had a role to play in the war effort and so did children. And then finally, we're going to talk about casualties and regiments, including uh, bombings and U-boat attacks on the Northeast, but also famous Northeast regiments like the Northumberland Fusiliers and the Durham Light Infantry. So, who, which one of you wants to go first with the introduction of industry and civilians? Um, I can go if you want. Yeah. So, do you want do you want to uh, go with the industry first like a a general background of what's going on yeah all right go for it so obviously start the war led to a lot of increase of like for the region and like obviously during the war there was an enlargement of like 48 factories and there was a building of 30 new ones then there was four shipyards were then enlarged and another seven started and three quarries were also opened so it was obviously known that the northeast was going to be one of the main regions to help with the war. Yeah, great. I would just add uh, that, for example, between for 1914 and 1918, Armstrong, Armstrong alone built 47 uh, warships, uh, which consequently employed over 60,000 men and women on Tyneside. Wow, great. Excellent. So what about the uh, civilians? I know you talked about employment there, but is there anything uh, more more specific, not just about shipbuilding? There was a lot on northeastern railways. So a lot of like a lot of the civilians started working there. Like most of them were sent away, but there was some who like a lot of women as well. And it was mainly they were like to help the resources. But they also had like other civilian jobs, so they helped with like the food shortages and rationing. Yeah. And they were like ten thousand northeastern railway men grew food in like free line side gardens, gardens attached to northeastern railway owned houses, when paid allotments. So they did more than just working with infrastructure. All right. Yeah. Yeah, and there was also a chemical centre in uh, Billingham, where from 1917 onwards, a production of synthetic ammonia uh, started. Okay, excellent. What should we add to the surveillance? I guess we should just also talk about the 
just what the general people are like, you know. These men are extremely hard, extremely tough. They're miners, they're ship builders. They get a lot of their exercise through this. This they're some of the most well wanted, some of the most demanded people for the armed forces and for the uh, infrastructure projects. And so what about women and children as well, adding on to that? I know you mentioned women before, but was there, obviously there's a lot, there must have been a lot of volunteering going on in the home front while the men were away in France, right? Yeah, there was like, in the railway service, a lot of women um, volunteered to be engine cleaners, porters, ticket collectors, and then they also volunteered in the Women's Royal Naval Service as like drivers, cooks, electricians, they sort of like took on the men's roles and just basically did their bit from home. Excellent, great. Yeah, there were also uh, many women working in Elswick works to make munitions. So that fits to what Yasmin said before. Great. And then, of course, adding on to that would be children. And because there were shortages of men power, they got the scouts from Whitley Bay to guard the bridges over the tide in Newcastle, and they were there to monitor ship movements along the coast and to keep an eye on for like any spies. <laughs> right, great. Was there any any bombing? I know there's bombing in the Second World War, but did, I'm fairly sure there was blimps and stuff that came over as well. Was any sort of like civilian casualties sort of thing? There wasn't. Like, there was casualties, but obviously it wasn't as bad in as in World War Two. But one I found that actually happened that was actually wasn't actually like a night raid, but it was actually on New Year's Eve in 1916, and it was 19. Mariners were on the pilot cutter protector and they were actually hit by a German mine which right. was there to disrupt transportation and unfortunately all 19 men died and a lot of them were like father and son and only one body was found but it sort of shocked everybody because it happened like in the daytime whereas they were used to nightly raids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and already in December 1914, Hartpool uh, was bombed by German uh, battleships, which resulted in deaths of uh, 112 civilians and nine soldiers. Uh-huh. And, well, I guess on top of that, if we're talking about casualties, we should talk about the Northeast regiments that were sent off. Have you got anything on, on them? Uh, yeah, so there was, so there was um, a couple of regiments. The Northeast Railway had two which was the 17th Battalion and, the, and then the Fumbling Fusiliers and the 32nd Battalion. And both of them fought in the Battle of the Somme. And there was the 16th Battalion called the Newcastle Commercials. And there was 8,000 of them went just from Newcastle. And they weren't working like in the railways. They were more electricians and grocers. And unfortunately, 600 of them did die and 1,600 were injured. Right. You said the North East Railway had regiments. Yeah, they, right? were the, they were the only British rail, railway to have their own battalions. Right, and so they they fought in the like on the front, or were they held in reserve? So the 17th did fight, and the 32nd was a reserve. But as the war progressed, 
they sort of appealed for more people to come forward. All right. Yeah, and there was also a Morphet troop of Northumberland Hussars, which was the first British unit sent to the continent in 1914. And as Yasmin mentioned, on the first day of the Battle of Somme, over like 1,600 uh, men uh, were killed on this one day from the Northumberland Fusilier uh, unit. Right. And then I've actually had a quick flick through because I found this before, which is the response by Ruth Chitterton and Alan Fidland. So this is for uh, the World War One commemoration in North Tyneside. So I've written some notes down on other regiments as well. The Tyneside Scottish, so the, the Scots have had a historic impact, especially on Newcastle since the Tudor times. There's stories of Geordies being able to differentiate the sort of the good civilized Protestant low country people and then the barbarian, you know, big hairy ginger Highlanders. So with the PALS divisions in World War One, they obviously it destroyed communities because they got everyone's neighbours together and into to form their own battalion for morale purposes. But if the if these battalions got you know, if they suffered heavy casualties, that could be whole towns wiped out. And that's what happened with the um, Tyneside Scottish. And so these were Scottish people living in Newcastle. There was also non-Scots who joined as well. And they wore sort of Northumberland plaid, which is actually Northeast English tartan. You usually think the Scots have it, but apparently no. It's called border tartan that people in Northumbria have it. And they also had, used, had their own piper band with their own... Northumbrian small pipes, which is one of like the oldest, I didn't know this, I was the oldest uh, like bagpipes in the country, older than any Scottish one, but don't tell it. But also, of course, the Tyneside Scottish also fought in the Somme and they, and they were nearly annihilated. They had to return to the UK and then they also fought in the Battle of Thiepville. And then along with the Tyneside Scottish, there was the Tyneside Irish. And then, of course, the Irish had a historic impact in, in Great Britain. And then in the 19th century, with the potato famine, you have a lot of Irish people immigrating to Newcastle. And I think most of them were in the coal collieries. It says here that 69.3% of them came in County Durham. And then speaking of County Durham, you've also got the Durham Light Infantry. If you go to Durham City, there's a, there's a monument to them. And they were miners, so they would have been great for warriors, for as fighters very strong and then also with all these northeast people fighting in the army would have been perhaps more preferential than working in the mines as well and then the durham light infantry fought in the second battle of yeeps where again they suffered horrendous casualties Do you have any, uh, an you have anecdotes as well. Do you have any like little stories or folklore things? Is that right? It was a story about, so there's a church in Fenham called the St. James and St. Basil Church. And when I searched it, it was actually built in memory, this man built it in memory of his two sons. And so it was, so Henry was his oldest and he was the partner in the father's business. And he joined in the Fumbling Fusiliers and became captain. But he was then killed in 1913. So then his brother James, who was the director of the Newcastle Journal, he joined and he rose to the rank of major. But he was unfortunately as well killed on the Battle of the Somme. But it was quite emotional because 
the day before he was going to die, James wrote to his father and he had an idea that he believed he wasn't going to come back to Tyneside. So he asked his father to get rid of anything that would remind him of his sons. And so obviously when the father found out that both sons had died, he sold his whole shipping business and gave the money to charity. And it's still two million is still given to the Northeast each year in the St. James's Not Trust. And he then, in memory of them, he gave gifted the parish, the church, and in the church, the designers, and decided that the south window has obviously it's a memorial to both James and Henry, and it's got a picture of them both there. Right. Wow. God. Did you find anything else, Clara? Yeah, I have two stories of women during the war. Uh, one of them was Dr. Uh, Ruth uh, Nicholson. Uh, she was born uh, in Newcastle and educated in Newcastle College of Medicine and at Durham University. And during the war, she volunteered and was based at the uh, all-female staffed uh, Raymond Hospital in France as principal surgeon. And she worked there to find a technique for curing uh, gas growing green. And after the war, she received a military cross in 1918 for her services and also a Medal of Gratitude and Medal of Honor from the Ministry of War for Epidemics. Great. Excellent. Do you have any other any other stories or anything like that or any other facts you want to throw out there? Uh, there is a story that I found about, his, his name is Joseph Foster and he was he dedicated to want to fight for his king and country, but he was 42 and the age of cutoff was 39. So because he didn't want to be seen as one of the men left behind, he got his young daughter, who was only 13 at the time, to forge his birth certificate to make him 10 years younger. <laughs> and he was accepted and he went to fight. But unfortunately, in 1916, he did die and he left behind his wife and six children. But it was just the idea that he wanted to fight, even though he was seen as being too old. He still mm -hmm. wanted to get out there and fight for his family and for his country. Yeah, because you, you usually hear the stories of, you know, like 14 year olds or 12 year olds trying to forge their documents. But I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't expect that either. Wow. Yeah, I would just mention that also um, Zeppelin uh, shot down at um, Hartpool in like um, I think it was in 1916 it is said that it was like a reckoning for the bombarding uh, of 1914 right right I think we'll leave it there for the first episode thanks so much for watching everyone in the second episode we're going to talk about the northeast and the interwar period and also about a pandemic outbreak in 1918 so yeah thanks very much See you later.